Hi everyone. My name is Ayana Fakir. That's A-Y-A-N-A F-A-K-H-I-R. And this is the first episode of my brand new podcast called Ayana Explains It All. <laughs> I'm going to have to work on the intro the inflection, the logo, the everything. But today I had a burst of creativity and I have to share it. I have to make this happen. I have to get this podcast out because it has been in me for some time and people telling me to do it, people telling me to start it, to launch it. And here it is. I've gone back and forth so many times with the name and the purpose and what I should talk about. And I wanted to narrow the focus to something, but then I thought it was a bit morbid. I wanted to um, talk about everything, but then that's too much. So often I find myself online explaining different areas of life and politics and economics and race and religion to people, not because they deserve an explanation, but because I want to enhance what people know. I want to not change the way that they think because I can't change the way that you feel about anything, but to add some more dimension, some flavor, some What's the opposite of ignorance? Some knowledge. <laughs> because there, frankly, there are a lot of people who are just plain ignorant and who are happy to be ignorant. And I don't want to shout at them. I don't want to shout at anybody. But I would like to introduce and highlight and erase your misperceptions, misconceptions, and and just help you along on your journey of life. Help you to the information is what I would like to do. Help you to understand what's going on in the world. Help you to understand maybe what's going on in your own house or in your own brain or just explain it all to you. And by all, I mean all, because I have a lot of opinions on a lot of things. And I have a shitload (laughs) of experience. And you'll have to forgive me if I swear. I do cuss. I love it. It is so freeing and wonderful. But I'm going to try not to do it here because I understand that that can turn some people off. And I want to turn on intellectually as many people as possible I don't want anybody to turn away because of the language that's used here but it will get raunchy sometimes it will get um, loud it will get angry it will get mean but it will also be soft and kind and enlightening and hopefully you will stay for the entire episode and hopefully you will stay for the many more episodes inshallah that I hope to create and there we are
I am Muslim, by the way. I am a Black American Muslim in the United States. I have been Muslim my entire life. But at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, while I am asleep, I am just a Black girl from the ghetto, (laughs) from the hood, from the blackest black neighborhood in the entire state of Ohio, from the Midwest, who has been up and down and back and forth and hit and abandoned and picked up and loved and cherished who has a lot to say. And so we're just going to get right into it. This first podcast, um, I want to be just a simple introduction of myself. I want people to know a little bit about me. I'm not going to go into a whole um, autobiography because snooze, oh my God, my life is not um, adventurous. It's not like, oh, I went here and there and, and I had a wonderful time and I'm, I'm jet setting and I'm hanging out with my friends on a yacht. And a... No, no. I am a 43-year-old single mother living in the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio. And as I said before, I was raised in East Cleveland, Ohio. I was born in Cleveland, raised in East Cleveland. And if you are familiar with East Cleveland, Ohio, then you know the history of the city is that it is where Rockefeller lived for many, 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 many years. His entire estate is now Forest Hill Park, Forest Hills Park, excuse me. But that used to be his entire estate. When I tell people I'm from where Rockefeller lived and they look at me like I've got horns growing out of my head, I know it sounds strange, but East Cleveland, Ohio was the place where wealthy white people settled in the area. And if you visit East Cleveland, Cleveland, you see the architecture are these big, beautiful houses along Euclid Avenue, along Terrace, along um, Superior, along Taylor. I mean, just big, beautiful homes with lots of rooms and, and big backyards and big front yards. And I remember the first time I saw a house that did not have a front yard and I thought this is what is this I grew up with a big backyard and there was a park in our backyard so there was always space for kids to play there were sidewalks there were kids everywhere and most importantly there were people who looked like me yeah I grew up in a black neighborhood and I went to school with mostly black kids and I grew up in a black family, a very black family. In fact, my story starts with my parents who were in the nation of Islam. My mother, who was born and lived for a time in Virginia, and my father, who was born and raised in Mississippi, and who both had families that migrated 
to Cleveland, Ohio in the 60s. If you hear that, that is um, my kitchen. I am recording this in my dining room and my house is just late at night when everyone's supposed to be asleep. It's supposed to be asleep. The ghosts and the gnomes and everything come out and they start making noises, but please ignore that. Um, So my parents, both from the south and one from the deeper south, migrated to Cleveland in the 60s. And somehow, my mother will tell you the story, but she ended up in the Nation of Islam because she was sort of like a, I don't want to call her a black nationalist, but she was. In college, she attended Allegheny College in Meadville, Pennsylvania, and she was a militant. She was very black. She had the the whole attitude, the Afro and everything, and that is where she ended up in the Nation of Islam, and she met my father, who was also extremely militant. I mean, we're talking about blackity, black, 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 blackity, black. These people were, and they had my brother, and they had me. I have two older siblings. No, three older siblings, forgive me. (laughs) My brother, my two older sisters from my father's first marriage, and I have four younger siblings. I have three younger sisters and a younger brother. My father had six kids. He is now deceased. He passed away in uh, 2016. I always get the date wrong. It's 2016 or 2015. I swear, I'm a, I'm, I'm a bad, bad daughter. I am. I don't know. I can't remember my own name sometimes, but forgive me. But he is uh, passed on. He died. My mother is still alive. And um, so my parents were not together for very long after I was born. But my mother tried her best to make sure that my brother and I had time with our father. My mother did remarry after she divorced my father and that's when my younger sister was born hey and my brother and I would spend summers with my dad and the way my mother lived and the way my father lived very different very 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 different Um, stark contrast even my father lived in Twinsburg Ohio before it was the big, beautiful suburb with the ritzy homes and whatever it is now. I mean, he could not afford to live there now is what I'm saying. And we lived in East Cleveland with my mother and my stepdad and in a big house that was for better or worse. I mean, it was clean. It had food. We had food. We had um, TV. We had beds. And I went to my father's house for the summer and there was none of that. We would go there for the summer, for winter break, and there was none of that. There was um, whatever they could get from welfare. They could get uh, the box of food that the government would give, the the good mint cheese, as people would say, and the powdered milk. And 
sometimes there was water and sometimes there was food to eat and sometimes there was no food to eat and sometimes there was no water and sometimes there was well all the time there was no bed and there was hardly any interaction because my father was he was addicted to substances he and his uh, wife his then wife um, were substance abusers but that's their business that's their life but it did affect me and but there were other issues in my other home life in my mother's home life so for me really as a child Life was good, but life was also very tough, very tough. At an early age, I had to learn to survive because I was physically and sexually abused. And I had to learn how to be, I don't want to say mature, I had to learn how to protect myself. I had to learn to do things that kids should not have to worry about. I had to, to, to build an armor. I had to build a shield. I had to endure things that children should not have to endure at all, ever. I lived without protection. I was kind of just out there, you know. My mother, God bless her, I love her. She did the best that she could, but she could have done better. But that is neither here nor there because there's nothing anybody can do about it now. It's my problem now to deal with. And I deal with it in therapy. Me and my therapist talk about this a lot and talk about how our childhoods shape who we are as adults. And one thing we talk about a lot is codependency and how a lot of codependent adults learned to be codependent as children and they got there from their parents who were either narcissists or codependents. My father was a narcissist. My mother probably was codependent. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to down on my parents because they were, you know, they have their own demons. They were not raised in the best of circumstances. So they had their own set of problems, but I was not raised to be um, a person who didn't have to think about the feelings of others. I was always made to feel like I had to consider what other people thought, and particularly about me, what other people thought about me, the way I dress, the way I talk, the way I play with toys, all of these things, because not only as a Muslim girl, but a girl who was intelligent, a girl who was well-spoken, I had to be, I had to conform. I had to be someone who conformed, otherwise I was not liked. So I spent a lot of my childhood trying to be liked trying to get people to like me, trying to get people to love me, because again, as someone who was abused, I felt like I was not loved. I didn't feel love. I didn't have any internal thing that said, hey, you're loved and you're wonderful and you deserve happiness. I never believed it as a child. I never 
I would dream, I would fantasize about having a happy life. I would fantasize about having a big house and getting married and having kids and having no cares whatsoever. And it was a fantasy that I held on to because it was the only thing that was saving me. Because otherwise, everything that had happened to me was going to keep happening. Everything that had happened was going to define me and that was going to be my life. I was going to be this unloved, abused, unwell, mentally unhealthy, incredibly anxious and depressed person for the rest of my life. But if I could imagine myself being someplace different, being someone different, having a better life, then I could work towards that better life and I could climb my way out of it. But there are so many things people don't tell you when you're a child, and that is the demons that latch onto you when you're a child follow you into adulthood. And no matter who you're with, no matter how big your house is or how small your house is or what possessions you have or where you end up in school or what career you have, your demons are latched on to you. And until you deal with them, they stay with you. And I probably should have dealt with a lot of these things when I was a child, but I didn't. And I dealt with them as an adult and I dealt with them probably too late as an adult, but here I am. And this podcast is actually one of the methods of therapy that I will be using to work out things for myself. I'm not just here to explain things to other people, but I'm also here to explain things to myself. There are some things that are beyond me (laughs) and I find that talking about them really helped me. But um, back to my utterly glamorous childhood, I um, was a smart kid in school. Very smart. All A's, straight A's, all the time. I graduated valedictorian of my senior class. But what I remember most about school was that I was different. I looked different because, as I said, I'm Muslim. I observe hijab. And hijab is what people like to think of as the scarf that women wear on on our heads. Uh, But that's called a kimar. It's called a kimar or it's called... um, a shayla, or as I call it, um, a scarf. Hijab is the practice of dressing modestly, thinking modestly, acting modestly, and it applies to both men and women. It's not just the scarf. It is how you think. It is how you talk. It is how you relate to other people. But I started wearing the scarf, the kimar, the hijab, when I was, um, my earliest memory is when I was six or seven years old. That's also when I started observing Ramadan. Kids can fast whenever they want to, but most don't start until they've reached puberty or some don't start until like maybe a year or two before puberty. But I came from very regimented, very conservative religious household and you fasted when you were a child, you prayed, you fasted, 
You wore long pants in the summertime. <laughs> you didn't play with boys if you were a girl. And you were quiet when you were supposed to be quiet. And you didn't interrupt people when you were in the masjid. You didn't make any noise. You were very, you observed these strict rules. So I wore hijab to school and I was picked on. I was bullied and I was teased endlessly, endlessly and treated cruelly sometimes. And for two years, um, my brother and I attended and my, my, my younger sister as well attended an Islamic school. And it was great because I could learn to read Arabic and I had Muslim friends and I learned to read the Quran. And there were people who looked like me. We all wore, we all observed hijab and we all, you know, prayed together and we learned everything together and it was great and it was wonderful. And for me, it ended early because for whatever reason, my mother was not satisfied with the education I was receiving and that's fine. I went back to public school and there it was again, me, the girl and the hijab who is um, being picked on, being teased. So if you, you know, you notice a pattern here. My entire childhood was me being verbally, physically, sexually abused. That's a lot. That's a lot for a child. A lot for a child. A lot of children who go through these things end up in foster care or when they become teenagers, they turn to violence, they turn to substance abuse, they are suicidal, they self-harm. I did not do any of those things, but I did develop depression, severe depression, and anxiety. And that is something else that will that I will explore on this podcast is I will be talking about mental health matters and how I navigate the world as a person who has depression and anxiety. But um, there weren't any, for me, there was no treatment for this. There was no pill that I was prescribed. There was no therapist I could talk to. There was just, oh, there's Ayana. She's in her shell. She'll break out of her shell and she'll be fine and good and she'll do these wonderful things and she'll be happy and lovely. And and I, I did break out of some of that. I found an outlet for my internal rage and disgust with the world, my internal my hurt, my pain. I was um, involved in speech and debate in high school. I was in ninth grade when this beautiful and wonderful club team was introduced to me. And I thought, that's what I need. I need to find some way to channel all of this ugliness inside of me, out of me. I need to get this out of me. And I put so much energy into this. I put so much of myself into it. And I was really good at it. It was like anything. I could pick up anything and just master it and be good at it. 
because I was always looking for an escape. Life was so tumultuous inside, internally, even if it wasn't externally, what was going on internally was so awful that I needed these outlets. I wrote poetry, I would read books, I would, um, I had dolls and imaginary play toys and, you know, the imaginary food in the kitchen, play food, not imaginary food, but play food in the play kitchen. And I had all the dolls and I had all the books and I was always, I was writing little books and poetry books and I was building things for my dolls and I was constantly looking for something to get me out of my head. I was always in my head. I was always sad and crying and wanting to be left alone. People would say to me, oh, you look so mean and why are you so quiet? People didn't know all of this was going on inside of me and and it wasn't any of anybody's business, but When I found this outlet, I would put everything that I am into it. And I would work so hard, so very hard. And I would excel at it, and I would ace it, and I would be good. And that's how I treated my high school experience. I was involved in every club. I was president of my senior class. I was in student council. I was in um, key club. I was in... Uh, National Honor Society. I was all of these things. I was doing so much because I had this fantasy life that I knew I wanted. And the only way I was going to get it was to be very good, was to be very academically excellent and go to a good college and get a good career and go on and be very wealthy and not have to think about any of this stuff. (laughs) So I thought, and you know, as a child, I, as a, a black child, I had many heroes to look up to. And mine were mostly from television. My first real hero on TV. When I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut or a lawyer. And I wanted to be a lawyer because I saw Claire Huxtable on The Cosby Show and she was a lawyer and she was commanding and she was assertive and people respected her and people admired her. And I thought, that's what I want to do. I want that right there. I want that life. I want to be like her. I want to be that. I'm going to be a lawyer or an astronaut. (laughs) It was either or. And I, you know, I dreamed about going to space camp in Florida. And I had an astronaut cabbage patch doll. And, but I also was always told, oh, you'll make a great lawyer. You like to argue. Well, I liked to argue because as I said before, there was this turmoil inside of me and I was probably always angry. I was happy a lot, but I was also very sad a lot. But I knew I had this fantasy. Again, I had this fantasy that I could latch on to and escape and think about it. And oh, when I get older, this is going to be my life and I'm going to be so happy. And I 
am a lawyer. I am a lawyer. Am I the happiest lawyer? Am I the happiest being a lawyer? No, I am not. Am I happy that I get to do this every day? Yeah, it's nice. It's good to have a career. It's good to have something to do every day. (laughs) If I had to do it all over again, if I could just think straight because I didn't have all of this rage inside of me, if I could just think straight, I probably would have gotten into journalism. In high school, I wrote for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. They had a section that was for high school uh, students to do, to write about whatever was going on, social issues, music reviews, concert reviews. I remember seeing Tupac in concert it was an Easy e West Coast tribute concert, and it was amazing. I actually got to see Tupac Shakur in concert. Whoa. I tell people that, and they just look at me like, what? You're so square. What? Oh, you went to see Tupac? Yeah. I did a lot of things. And if I had to do it all over again, I would be a journalist. I enjoy writing. I enjoy exploring topics. I enjoy getting to the heart of something. I enjoy talking to people about their life experiences. And I'm going to do that here, actually. I'm going to have some of my friends co-host with me every once in a while, if I can get them. Everybody is so busy. (laughs) Since the pandemic, I will only vaguely refer to the pandemic because my gosh, what hasn't that ruined? But um, my friends are actually why I'm doing this. My friends have really pushed me. They have said to me, Ayana, do this. You need to do this. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then I didn't talk about it for the longest time. And nobody said anything because, you know, that's how my friends are. They're not nitpicky people. If I do what I do, if I don't, then I don't. And then today I decided I'm going to do it. That's it. And here I am doing it. That's one of the things I want to impart on people is that doing it is better than I'm going to do it. Just do it. Just drop everything you're doing right now. That thing you wanted to do, unless you're driving, you know, wait till you get home. And just do it. Go ahead, do it. Whatever it is, don't wait. There is no right moment. There is no right time. There is no, when I get this over here and this lined up and that lined up, you know, I can't do it because I'm I'm this and I've gone down this road. And I've been a lawyer for over, I want to say it's been 18 years gosh, a very long time. And I could do anything else right now. And I wouldn't miss being a lawyer for all the money in the world. It is a very fulfilling career, but it's also extremely demanding and comes with so many expectations. And, and 
It's expensive to be a lawyer. Did you know that? At least in the state of Ohio, you have to have 24 hours of continuing legal education credits. And those things are not free unless you're part of all of these different organizations. And here I am digressing. So this is the first episode of Ayana Explains It All. And now you see why I have to have a podcast because I can tell a story, honey. (laughs) I can tell a story. I um, am in therapy. I am very big component of seeing a therapist, talking to a therapist, having someone to talk to, even when you think you don't. And I will sit there with my therapist for an hour and I will just talk and talk and we will have the best time. It doesn't even feel like therapy because it is really very engaging and it's beneficial and it's just someone who helps you get out all of the things that are jumbled up inside of your head. And I had a lot jumbled up in my head. I mean, 43 years of muck and mire and misery and pain and so many things. And that is what I do. I talk. And now I'm going to talk for a living. And I'm really excited. I'm excited. I tried recording this um, an hour before I started this one. (laughs) And then My son came downstairs at 1130 at night to do the dishes. He didn't ask me why I was sitting here recording a podcast at 1130 at night. And I didn't ask him why he was doing the dishes at 1130 at night. I just assumed that he was doing what he knew he had to do so that I didn't have to wake up and say, why didn't you do the dishes last night? And my kids pretty much don't need me as much as they used to. So now I have all of this free time, except I have so much free time that I do so many things throughout the day that I'll end up doing some things at 1130 at night. And that's just the way it is. And that is how I am going to explain it all. Sometimes it'll be in the morning. Sometimes it'll be me live from my garage. Sometimes it'll be me sitting at my dining room table like I am now and just me explaining to you whatever it is is on my mind that day. There will be themes. There will be topics. I'm not going to go off the rails. I'm not going to just ramble on. There will be, um, it will be centered around something specific. But I just wanted to introduce myself to everyone people who listen to this will probably already know me because I'm going to post it on my social media so that my friends can hear this really, really rough draft and provide me with so much feedback, I hope, and let me know what they think of my ideas and the directions that I should go in. I'm very open to feedback. I'm not someone who is like, I, I can't be criticized. I am the great Ayana. No, 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 no. I'm actually trash. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, no negative self-talk. Please, please, Ayana, please. No negative self-talk. Um, so yeah, that's me. Black girl from East Cleveland, Ohio, who is Muslim, middle-aged, middle-aged, 
Oh, yeah, I have two kids. <laughs> I can't forget about my lovely children. Single mom, two kids. I've been a single mother for over 17 years. And um, my children are growing up very differently from how I grew up. They are growing up with all of the love and protections and hugs and kisses and support that they want and need and encouragement and no judgment. And I, I'm happy for them. I'm happy for them because no child should have to grow up the way that I grew up. My mother did the best that she could, but it was not, it was not enough. I needed so much more than what I got. And because I didn't get everything that I needed, I am now the adult middle-aged single mom who's in therapy. Good Lord. Oh, Lord above. So I'm going to end it here and I'm going to post this and let people tell me what they think and provide me with some feedback. And I'm going to write down some ideas. I'm going to go back through some notes of things I've talked about elsewhere. And I'm going to bring that to you in a podcast form. And I hope you enjoy it. And thank you for listening. Bye bye.